If you want to know more about Gophers football, we're chopping it up with friend of the show, Daniel House, getting into the nitty gritty details, and you're not going to want to miss out. You are no locked on happens, Golden Gophers. No matter what we're going to do here, we're just going to keep rowing. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota uh, Golden turns out, Gophers. Whatever turns out, we're just going to keep rowing. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're just going to keep rowing, keep rowing, and keep rowing. You're listening to Locked On Golden Gophers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Kane Robb, host of the podcast, former collegiate football video coordinator and recruiting assistant here to talk Golden Gophers with you each and every day of the week, Monday through Friday. Be sure to hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. In fact, we are doing a giveaway, a free DTA Dinky Town Athletes t-shirt giveaway. All you got to do is head on over to the Twitter page, which is Locked On or LO Golden Gophers, LO Golden Gophers or the Locked On Golden Gophers Twitter account. You'll see a tweet there. It should be pinned at the top for you. All you got to do is subscribe to the YouTube channel, retweet the tweet and follow the Twitter account. That's it. And you have a shot at a free Dinky Town Athletes t-shirt of your choice. We're going to select one random winner from the first 500 subscribers that we have on YouTube. Now we're at 470, 471, right around that area. We just need 30 more subscribers and then we're going to be giving away a free DTA t-shirt. So be sure to share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and we will be giving that away. Now, this is the show where we always continue to row. We're talking nitty-gritty de- details about the Gophers football program, and we're bringing on our friend Daniel House to talk. So let's wait no further and jump right in. All right, you're listening to Locked On Golden Gophers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we've got a special guest for you today. Best of the best, in my opinion, when it comes to Gophers analysts and when it comes to breaking down film analytics and addressing the vulnerabilities that come along the way. You've likely heard him on Sirius Radio's Big Ten channel, as well as other radio networks across the Midwest. You should know him from Gophers Guru. And if you don't, it's time to subscribe. Friend of the show and also a knack for music, if you didn't know. But please welcome Daniel House. Thank you for joining us today, man. Uh, thanks, man. Enjoy coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate uh, you having me on. For sure. So let's let's jump right in. Let's kick this thing off. And we're going to talk about the offense first. Now, I know it could kind of be a loaded question, but what would you say was the number one problem with this Gophers offense versus Purdue? Yeah, that that's a tough question because it it was a variety of different things. Like you can't really say one thing was the major issue because there were just little detail lapses everywhere. They couldn't run the ball. Purdue was stacking the box with seven. Felt like coming into the game, they'd have to be able to pass effectively to sort of open that up. Right. And without Mo, running backs didn't do a great job of breaking tackles. In fact, they didn't break a single tackle the whole day, and that's never happened in the P.J. Fleck era. So this is something that I'm writing about, uh, be out this week on the website, just talking about the value of breaking tackles. And that ties in also to the offensive line, maybe not blocking things up great in some instances, but then there were times where the running backs maybe needed to break a tackle or be more decisive and 
make the right read. So, you know, Purdue did a great job scheming this up. They took away the RPO game. They sort of used Chris Jefferson as sort of a hybrid roaming type of player to sit in those RPO windows and make those throws uh, not happen, I guess. You know, you had to adjust, try to clear some things out. I thought they were finding some answers. And then when maybe they did, it was a drop pass, ball placement, pressure in the pocket. So, you know, like I always say, there's three or four plays that end up defining a game. And I thought right. you had a very good scheme. And sometimes it goes that way. For sure. Absolutely. And you mentioned we couldn't break tackles. You mentioned the O-line kind of out of sorts, at least in this game. Would you say that that O-line performance was maybe more so an anomaly or fluky? Or is it something to maybe worry about moving forward? I just believe Purdue has a very good defensive front. I thought people were discounting Purdue coming in. You look at all the numbers you watch, the games you study it up. I feel as if the Sullivan, uh, Branson Dean, uh, Kyder and Jenkins, three very good pass rushers. They got some young guys that have been flashing a bit on a rotational basis. So I felt like the game plan was, okay, you are not going to win with the intermediate game and the RPO. You need to, you know, have longer developing route concepts that are going to take some time, clear defenders out, force the receivers to get open one-on-one, -on -one, maybe be a little more physical. We saw coming into the game, they're going to be very physical on the boundary jamming receivers, but the, the intent was clear to keep the box full, limit the run game, take away the intermediate passing attack, and then force you to have longer developing routes that the O-line has to hold the pocket. And I feel as if the offensive line, you know, you, you just – you, you, when you play against these top opponents like this, it's totally different than what you saw the first few games. Right now, you got the bye week to make some adjustments, figure out what's working, what's not, and come up with some wrinkles because you're playing a defense coming out of the bye week that loves man coverage, is very aggressive. The numbers like them a lot. I mean, I feel as if people were discounting Purdue coming into the game. I I saw all these predictions going. They're Gover's going to win by two scores, and I'm like, I. Purdue's defense, numbers-wise, both on film, they had a lot of mistakes in the first mm -hmm. few games where they get one first down against Penn State. They win the game. They had a big collapse of penalties at the end against Syracuse. They were the ninth most penalized team in college football coming in. So they were able to cut that down to four penalties for 55 yards, and I thought that was one of the keys coming into the game was could Purdue limit the penalties – and not make those catastrophic mistakes. If you told me the defense is getting three takeaways, I'd have said, hey, this 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 is going to be a win for Minnesota. But it just was the offense couldn't seem to find its footing, and Purdue had a good scheme. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I honestly said, if you just read Aiden O'Connell's stat line and you were like, he was – uh, 200, just above 200 yards with two interceptions and no touchdowns. I would have been like, yeah, the Gophers won that game. But it's just, just wild how it all played out. Now, you had mentioned a couple – a bit about the wide receivers and getting jammed from the line. What are your thoughts on this wide receiver room having lost Chris Ottman Bell? I've been super encouraged by Daniel Jackson and even the progression he's made in the Michigan State game. And then to this game, he was a yak monster, breaking the first tackle on most of his receptions this last week. So that was kind of fun to see. But I guess what have you liked and what has disappointed you so far with this wide receiver room? Yeah, Daniel Jackson has emerged in a big way, route running wise, being able to create after the catch, some of the designs that they use for him, the shallow cross, just to clear out defenders. And 
attack what the defensive structure was giving him. They ran a dagger concept for the 66-yard play where vertical route from Mike Brown-Stevens clears out the safety, a dig over the middle to uh, Daniel Jackson. Then he just broke one tackle and took it six six yards and then just couldn't finish the the drive out, which was also another key moment in the game. They could not right. get that. They, the drop pass, uh, those types of sequences all contribute to – whether you can win the game. But I also think like Dalen Wright, there were a couple opportunities where he's got to win at the catch point. Uh, I also thought that, you know, it, it's one of these things where these receivers need to just be more consistent overall. Like Mike Brown Stevens, mm-hmm. the drop that leads to the interception, all of those little details. Consistency was something that PJ Fleck talked a lot about with the receivers coming into the season. And I felt like it was very good through the first four games. And then you hit this week and, it went back to those detail lapses. So now you get into the bye week and you go, how can you tweak the system, teach some fundamentals, work on some things to get guys in a spot where they're they're being maximized? So, you know, maybe that's through scheme. I, at the end of the game, they're running some crossing routes to get some easy throws schemed open. And so I felt as if they they were starting to show signs of finding answers, but just didn't have enough in the bag to to pull it out for sure all right so then one last question before we dive into our first break is you know many might just look at the box score and be like oh tanner threw three interceptions and be like see i told you he's not that great but i feel like the tape would tell you something different thus far and i guess when you watch back the tape i know that you've watched back the game or the tv copy as well what are there any concerns from you from this game or are you still kind of good to go as far as what you've seen from Tanner so far through five games? This is a game where context matters because you watch some things and you go, okay, Tanner threw three picks. Well, two of them were not really on him. Right. The drop TD that leads to the pick. And yeah, there were some moments where you like ball placement to be better. And, you know, maybe it's pressure alters it from the right. I thought the play to Brevin, He runs a vertical route right near the pylon. It's like third and nine. And uh, just the ball wasn't placed right. There was pressure from the right. Couldn't make the play. I thought that was another moment in the game. If they convert that, uh, it might have changed the flow of it. But, you know, Tanner, I feel as if one of the things that has to happen is finding that rhythm on first down, getting in a groove there. They were very inefficient on first down. And Purdue took away that intermediate game forced Minnesota to hold the pocket on the longer developing routes. And so, you know, I dove into this in deeper detail on the website, talking about some of the designs they used to try to figure some things out. But, you know, Tanner, Tanner, uh, without Mo, I felt like that sort of changed everything for the Gophers because his ability to break tackles, it's crazy how breaking tackles on rushing plays is such a huge part of what the Gophers do in their success and actually correlates with winning a lot of times. So, you know, in this zone scheme, you got to be able to make the first defender miss and be very decisive. And this was the first time I felt like the running backs weren't super, super decisive. And then when moments where the O-line just wasn't able to generate movement and create space. So like I said, it, it was a lot of different things going on, but now you get the bye week to sort of figure this out and try to try to right the ship here. All right, folks, if you haven't listened to this first segment so far and been like, I need to go subscribe to Gophers Guru, 
I don't know what you're doing because he's giving you straight facts, giving you tons of information, and he breaks it down even further there. So definitely give that a look. But we're going to talk about the defense. We're going to flip to that side coming up next. Today, we're talking about our friends over at Nissan. That is right, Nissan. Our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Lockdown College Network titled Thrilling Moments where we highlight the most exciting play from the Gophers weekend game or throughout the history of the Gophers and our alma mater. This week's thrilling moment from the Gophers is none other than the 66-yard reception by Daniel Jackson. The man was absolutely busting through tackles, yards after carry. He was a yak monster in this game, and this is the play that absolutely lit the crowd on fire and gave us a spark on the offense to stay in it. Now, in the end, it did not end up being enough for the Gophers offense that day. He finished with six receptions for 110 yards, but this one was the one, and that was the Gophers' thrilling moment of this week. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all new Frontier Armada or Pathfinder today, available now at Nissan.com. All right, so we're gonna flip to the defensive side of things. Now outside of the missed tackles and drive one and in those final three minutes where I honestly think they were partially gassed as well from being on the field mm -hmm. so long, but you could easily argue this defense was the only reason that we were truly in the game, in the fight for as long as we were this past weekend. Now, I know before the game, you and I had chatted about how important the first drive and winning first down, or at least setting yourself up for success and to score first and all of that interesting insights. So do you <laughs> mind rehashing out that bit for the listeners and what we had kind of talked about there? Yeah, I mean, first down efficiency is one of the keys to offensive success just because it keeps you in rhythm, allows your play action game to work better because you're in a situation where, you know, it's second and five, second and four. And then that ties into third down. You're not in third and long situations where the defense can tee off. So this game did not execute in that area. Definitely had one of the, the poor outputs in, in that statistic that I look at. But then, you know, you, you look at starting first, how much success – teams have when they score first especially in big 10 west games and purdue came out on that drive and you know uncharacteristic tackling generated some movement in the ground game had to get penetration get off of blocks uh, just to flat out tackle better and so they settled in after that i thought the safeties had a great game uh, jordan howden howden tyler newbin uh, you know, they did some stuff where they were in too high shell, but they sort of made some modifications off of it. You know, based on the TV copy, look like on the Howden pick, they had uh, two man under with man coverage underneath. And then he's just kind of playing the deep half and gets behind that crossing route for an interception. And then Newbin sort of robbing over the middle on the other interception. And then Newbin comes downhill and makes a great tackle, uh, forces a fumble. So the defense creates three takeaways. And you're not able to capitalize on those. And that's mm. something that has to happen when your defense is providing those opportunities for you. You didn't win the turnover margin, which is a big factor in success as well. So it's just these little boxes, not breaking tackles, uh, you know, not starting fast, uh, the turnover margin, 
uh, first down efficiency, all of those things tie into being successful and then not being able to run the ball efficiently. And that was partially due to, to being loaded in the box and saying, okay, pass to open up the run here. And sometimes, you know, you're able to get by with, you know, they're playing at the seven man box and you break a tackle and you're just having success, but Purdue's got a very good defensive front. So, you know, those are the things that I saw some good collective team rushes with the interior push and the edge guys retracing. I thought there were a couple opportunities where, you know, Connell stepped up and got some yardage. So I think that's something that they will continue to work on improving their pressure and just trying to find that balance between being too aggressive and limiting the big play. They're getting their hands on a foot on the football at a high level right now. It's something that I wanted to see him improve. You know, like I said, it's a trade-off, you know, you want guys trying to break on the ball to make plays, but you also want to limit the big play too, which is a big part of their philosophy. So I feel like they're finding that balance right now. Like you said, thought the defense got a little wore down late, which was result kind of the offense not sustaining as many drives throughout the day that you'd like. You know, that wide zone takes a cut back, some bad angles, and then off to the races for the big run at the end. So, I mean, I I really i am honestly not taking much stock in that last TD run. I'm going the defense had you in a position to win the game and your offense just couldn't find enough winning plays, and that's what it comes down to. Absolutely. Um, so outside of just this game, just this last game, what would you say are the more intricate strengths of this defense that helps them be one of the best units over the last couple of years? I think they're fundamentally sound, man. Uh, Joe Rossi and the staff do a great job of teaching and coaching guys, developing talent, finding players that fit their system and doing what they do best. And I believe defensive football can become very complex. It's something that like, you can run like a gazillion different coverages and have all these different fronts and try to be very exotic defensively. Now there's a place for that. And it depends on the talent. Yeah. Maybe you can do that more at the NFL level, just because uh, of the skill level and guys, this is what they're doing, you know, where this is, these are college kids. I feel like people forget that. So I think the best defensive coordinators are keep things simple do a lot, do things that fit the strengths of their players. You know, Minnesota, for example, using simulated pressures a lot, blending that up with the blitz. So simulated pressures basically look like a blitz, but essentially you're dropping one pass rusher and sending a fourth rusher that is a second-level defender, a linebacker, or safety. So you'll see those packages from Minnesota. They're trying to get when the offensive line is like half-sliding or sliding. They want to run those specific simulated pressures to attack those type of protections so they do that very well uh stopping the run limiting the explosive play we know minnesota's been one of the best teams in recent years at limiting those big plays those 20 plus yard uh from scrimmage plays that you know rossi always wants to limit but i say it i i said it earlier you know it's one of these things where it's like going to a restaurant some people can have too big uh, restaurants can have a very big menu and they're, they they don't really focus in on what they're good at where the best defensive coordinators, they, they have the right menu. And I feel like the Gophers have the right menu overall. Yeah, man. When you told me that prior to the game, I, I was like, that's my favorite analogy I've heard. I've never heard it before, but it makes sense. Like when you put it that way, it's like, yeah, be good at what you're good at. Don't try to have fish and chicken and pasta and all this other things and have it all be mediocre so like yeah, i mean rossi was talking about that with us last week like being simplistic and i'm like yeah it's just like the menu you know it's just <laughs> like going to a restaurant you're going man i don't need like 
35 different choices here. Just give me, give me what you do best. Right. Right. So, um, one thing I will close up on the defense and then we'll kind of wrap things up, uh, with a bunch of outside things looking forward. We'll talk about Mo a little bit to close the show off, but when you're looking at the defense, I guess, outside of the simplistic system building around them, what adds to this Gophers defense? Is it the versatility? Is it the athleticism? Is it the communication on the field? Is it all of that in one? But like what really sets them apart? This is the best personnel they've had for, you know, speed, versatility, being able to, you know, do different things with personnel groupings to match what you're playing. So, for example, if you got bigger physical receivers, you have defensive backs to match that. If you're playing a shiftier team with a lot of dynamic weapons, you have cornerbacks to match that. Uh, then you got, you know, your defensive line being able to rotate and generate mismatches. If you're playing a team that's more of a physical power oriented inside guard team, you can put, you know, the length and speed, the more quick twitch athleticism inside. And you just kind of mix and match based upon what you're playing each week. And Minnesota hasn't had that luxury before. So that alone with the personnel side of it, but then being able to pair that personnel up with a scheme that, you know, it is fits the strengths of the players, allows them to play fast. They're not thinking, they're communicating. And that starts with the coaching and practice with the fundamentals and how they teach defense and the, the tackling. They, you know, outside of that first drive all year, they've been one of the better tackling teams. And you look at the numbers, I think it's fascinating. I look at like Joe Rossi's tackling numbers and then I go see Rutgers is one of the best tackling teams in the country right now, too, with Joe Harrisimiak. So you see the the Harrisimiak Rossi tree uh, of defense. It's it's important to tackle. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of different things defensively, but I feel like they're well coached. They play with good fundamentals and they got good personnel. So all those things help your defense be successful. Yep. And it's been on display, especially these last two years. So the defense has been extremely fun to watch i feel like people get so caught up in offense and fireworks and things like that but this defense is a unit that definitely brings smart spark to those people that maybe don't understand it as much as well we have to talk about our friends over at bet online they're your number one source when it comes to football betting info this season find all of the latest player developments team matchups news podcasts and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information and live betting and up to the minute scores for every sport out there. Be sure to check it out all over at Bet Online. It's where the game starts. Mm-hmm. Now, let's close this thing off. So, the last thing I want to talk about is Mo and our schedule moving forward. First off, how does Mo truly change this offense? You talked about broken tackles. Um, we've seen others find success in this running back room, especially last year, Potts, Bryce Williams, the two freshmen that have both transferred out now. But what would you say is the big difference between him and the others that come through the room? Well, Mo's just like I said, the yards after contact, the decisiveness, the patience, ability to feel blockers, uh, you know, find that cutback lane. And just the presence, honestly, as weird as that sounds, like the leadership, what he brings when he's out there, he's one of those players that everybody gravitates toward. And I think that's something that is super important and people don't talk about it enough where you've got those leaders that are like magnets. 
mm-hmm. and Mo is that that type of player. And it felt sort of deflating in a sense. I I kind of felt that vibe with Mo warming up, possibly having a chance to play, and then not playing. So. I mean, totally different strengths, all the different backs, which, you know, that that is obviously always going to be the case. But Mo is a premier running back and it's so hard to replace the things that he can do. I mean, it's he's he's one of the best at also, uh, you know, getting hit with contact, keeping the feet moving, running with good pad level, low center of gravity, great vision, like everything you want in, in a running back. And when you don't have that out on the field and maybe you're not blocking things up as well. That's a, this is a game where you need Mo to maybe create some stuff that you wouldn't typically get from other backs. Right. And he always falls forward. I don't know how he does it, but he always falls forward for those extra half yard, one yard, two yards. So, um, but knowing that he'll likely be back fingers crossed that there's no setbacks or anything like that. And having the additional time, how do you like the Gophers chances in these next two big games versus Illinois and Penn state? Well, you have to play a very good football game against Illinois. It's one of those things, again, where I, I don't think that, like, people will probably say, oh, Minnesota should win easy, but this will be another close game. You look at the numbers, uh, the ability of Illinois playing a lot of man coverage. They're very physical. Right now, top and uh, expected points added per play defensively. Tons of defensive metrics where they're thriving. They're another defense that – keeps things pretty simple. I know like Ryan Walters doesn't even have a play sheet. Like everything's in his head. It's, it's simplistic enough where he wants to be fast and he wants his players to be thinking that way. So they do a lot of good things defensively. I like their offensive scheme. Barry Lenny Jr. From UTSA does a lot of things formationally pre-snap motion to create matchups for his players and then builds that off of the running game that they have. So that's going to be a very fun game to watch. I think I, and I also believe the, this week we'll get a pretty good barometer of Illinois uh, when they play Iowa, just to get a vibe of, okay, offensively, I think, you know, DeVito's done a nice job of limiting mistakes and, and being efficient and Chase Brown's obviously one of the most dynamic running backs in the country. So stopping the run will be key but you know this is the buy comes at a good time to regroup here before you go to champagne and play a team that has done a nice job of getting this rebuild off the ground fast because they've hired good assistant coaches that can develop talent and scheme up advantages for their players you heard it here you heard it here i mean i love that insight and speaking of good assistant coaches we're going to close the show with this question if you could summarize each in one point what would you say is your favorite thing about the Kirk Sharaka system and your favorite thing about Joe Ross, Joe Rossi's defense? Oh, Joe Rossi's third down packages, man. He is, he is so good at like drawing things up, uh, the, you know, double a gap, uh, simulated pressures, creative blitzes, mixing coverages. They're one of the best third down defenses every single year. You get into passing down situations and you, you not only watch the film, but you look at the numbers and see how they perform in that area. Love studying that part of of Rossi's scheme. I would say with Sharaka, it's the RPO game, obviously, just the the details and intricacies of it. Everybody thinks it looks simplistic, but there are a lot of different wrinkles that go into it, how you build off of it. Uh, The rushing schemes, you know, Minnesota's wide zone scheme is something that I like as well, just because they have the athleticism of their O-line to be able to climb and create creases and explosive plays so i would say 
the RPO game and just listening to Kirk tell stories and talk about things. He's, he's certainly a fascinating guy to, to talk with. <laughs> All right, folks, we could seriously go hours, but that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us house and please let the people know where they can find you and your work. You can check out my website, gophersguru.com. The subscription package is $5 a month. And then on Twitter, at Daniel House NFL for a little gophers and, and Vikings content. There it is, $5 a month. If you just skip one coffee, just one every month, you're already getting all of this detail and more from Daniel. So be sure to check that out over at Gophers Guru. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and check out Twitter for your chance to win a free t-shirt from DTA. That's going to do it for us. And have a great rest of the day, Gophers fans. I'll see you tomorrow. Row the boat. Sky, you Go Gophers.